Hi, welcome to Biblito, Watsonville Public Library's podcast, where we talk to you all about books, the community, what to read next, and cultural topics. My name is Celeste. My name is Stephanie. And let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Biblito. We are super excited to talk about our nonfiction reads for September, which I think was something I had said over and over and probably will still keep saying is something that's not really my niche. I don't know, nonfiction is not something I read. But I think Steffi and I have read some really interesting books, and I think I've finally found my little flow with nonfiction. I think this one kind of is a winner for me. <laughs> Cool. I think before we like go into the podcast, I think it's interesting to note that we both went with picks that are kind of a preview for our next episode, which is going to be like Halloween, spooky, horror theme. Our nonfiction picks are kind of within that like realm or world. And they were really interesting. Yeah, I think it was funny because we had said previously, oh, we're just, you know, nonfiction's an array of different topics. And somehow we still ended up with very similar topics to each other. And it like relates see the other month so i don't know we just coincidentally do a lot of things <laughs> yeah, and I, th- I think for me too it was really different for me to read something that was non-fiction just because it's something i really don't gravitate towards i read a lot of fiction and then biography and memoir but not exactly straight non-fiction so it was it was very different yeah for sure um before we start some a little not really housekeeping but just an announcement september is library card sign up month so if you are a california resident definitely sign up for a library card with us uh you get access to our physical copies but if you don't live nearby you can definitely access libby and get ebooks and e-audio books from your home so you know kind of incentive there come come check us out come now sign is up the time. <laughs> now's the time <laughs> so now we're gonna kind of get started in our books i don't know let's see yeah we haven't really decided who's gonna go first it's I, up to you i feel like i i feel like you always go first okay so we'll change it up today i okay. can go first so the non-fiction book that i read is the ghosts that haunt me memories of a homicide detective by steve ryan this was published in october 11th 2022 so fairly recently it's still it's surprisingly still on our new bookshelf i think it's going to be taken off soon Um, okay interesting you usually have like a six month time frame of when things live on the new bookshelf so i'm surprised since october of last year but again, sometimes our books come later. It may have come later, and it may have been, like, getting checked out, too. Yeah. So that so. may be why it stayed on the shelf longer. So it is new right now, but it might be in the regular shelves eventually, um, upstairs on our second floor. But the page count of this is 232 pages, and we only have a print book format i tried to look for an e-audio an audiobook on libby and stuff and even through other library cards that i have and i couldn't find it it's Mm. it's not it's not out there is an e-audio book i actually got it through audible because i do have audible so i was able to listen to it sometimes um through there but from the library no (laughs) oh okay so a couple of trigger warnings because as you could tell from the title this is pretty dark in some senses trigger warnings is murder child and domestic abuse mentions of suicide and graphic details of crime and crime scenes so it's definitely shocking and like 
hard to read because it does mention some details of uh, crime scenes, how they looked, what happened to victims, and things like that. So just to be aware. So descriptive then. Yeah, very descriptive. Beware of some of the stuff for people, for our patrons. You know, if you want to pick this up, it does have some dark, dark realities in there. So my quick summary of this, not to give too much away, obviously I don't wanna really get into the graphic contents of this book. This is how it starts. The narrator of the book is the Steve Ryan, a retired Toronto homicide detective. He delves into six cases that stood out the most in his career because of the impact that it left him. So mind you, like I said, the details are disturbing and are hard to read because some of the cases involve young children. Oh gosh. Yeah, so uh, it's something that, I kind of had like, I think in the synopsis in the back of the book, and as well as if you read it like as um, a little summary, if people want to recommend it, they do mention that. So I did kind of go in knowing that it, there was going to be young victims involved, but it's still really, it, it's just, I, I don't know why I read it, It's <laughs> but I still did it. Right. Ryan recounts how his interest in police work began. It started with a young Ryan who enjoyed playing outside, riding his bike, and living without fear. And the moment he saw the news, his father would watch every night and the anchor sharing the murder of a young boy from the Toronto area that was snatched from his neighborhood, sexually assaulted, and murdered, and left on a rooftop. And four men were charged with this crime. One pled guilty, two were found guilty, and one was acquitted. From then on, Ryan said he wanted to help. So that from that moment, um, basically the way that this book is told or is in his narrative, it's a narrative, right? He's telling yeah. stories. It's semi-autobiographical as well as true crime. So Ryan goes on about being a cadet and moving his way up in the police force while recounting that he should have enjoyed his younger years before dedicating so much of his life to work. That's something that is throughout this book is he reminds the readers that you know I really from a young age put myself in this in this work in this very traumatic dangerous environment and there's points of his life when he sees his family he mentions moments with his family his kids watching them and knowing that he might get paged because he's gonna go investigate a homicide crime scene and he gets taken away from those uh, moments with his family. So his life revolves around his job. Yes, yeah. exactly. And it's funny because he also would mention, like, I love my, what I do. I'm helping people. But then he also brings in, like, the other side of, you know, at, at the same time, it's not something I should have chosen so young. He really, I think what I liked is that he touched on two perspectives and he had both those perspectives that I did this because this is what I wanted to do and help my community. But at the same time, this is the consequences of choosing that in a personal level. Yeah. Right? So I really, really liked that, I guess, uh, viewpoint of this. So the book jumps some years and Ryan is a sex crimes detective called out to a case in junction with homicide division so it was for a 10 year old girl who was kidnapped murdered and dismembered the that case influenced ryan to make the switch in departments first off he was in sex crimes unit and he would work you know all anything that involved that but once he made that crossover he really saw that his true calling was in homicide from then on he did mention other cases i think a couple of the because he does talk about six different cases and the other cases after that were homicide cases there was one that was about domestic abuse a husband 
murdering his own wife and uh, wow. being a horror, thinking he could get away with it and being horrible at at least just admitting it when they knew the whole time. There was uh, a time too after homicide, he had to, he was in the cold case division and switched over to that. And he had to investigate uh, a crime of a young 14 year old girl who was stuffed in a suitcase by both of her parents. And that wasn't discovered until later on when something happened to her younger brother in the future. So it kind of tied back to an old case. Oh my gosh. I know this is graphic. I'm sorry, guys. I'm trying not to be too descriptive. Those are pretty dark. But these are really dark cases, and it's kind of hard to kind of talk about, not talk about them without actually saying, like, what really caused him to share these and to mention like like the, his whole purpose of this book yeah again like i mentioned he was in cold cases and then he went back to homicide because he couldn't be in cold cases anymore because he was stuck in a like basically stuck with all these files stuck on in on, on desk he wasn't really out there helping his community physically out there so he felt you know let me go back to homicide so he's been making jumps and everything and so that's what the book kind of embodies So Ryan continues to, throughout this book, share the cases while also reminding the readers that this is not about the culprit, that this is up to remind you of the people that were taken by them. Okay. So who they left behind and the types of people they were. So what's something I really liked about the book was how uh, Ryan, the author, really talked about the victims, their lives before the people that they interacted with, their relationships with them, the community within their lives, and how he mentioned being a homicide detective, you find out everything about them. He says, unfortunately, yeah, they're not here, but I learned probably more, I probably got to know this person more so than some of the people in their lives. And he he felt that that was a big an impact on him emotionally, as well like as like with his job, you know, it, it, it really, really hurt, like, touched him in different ways. So again, <laughs> I could not go into detail about all the specifics of the crime. That would be far too graphic. But ultimately, Ryan concludes that he needed to retire. And in doing so, he had to find himself outside of a job that defined who he was all his life. That's probably really hard. Yeah. The way he wrote this and the way he kind of phrased this was that he being being influenced to help and be in homicide and do it at a teenager age and as a cadet going into it and doing it all his life, coming out to find out who am I as a person besides my job. Like he came to that, he, at the end of the book, he says, after I retired, it's been five years and I'm still discovering who I am outside of being a homicide detective. I try to mow my lawn. I try to spend time with my family, but there'll be moments where I will blink and I'm inside of the room of uh, one victim, her last name is Spencer, and I could see like the crime scene and then blink back out and then he's out of it. And he says it doesn't stop. So there's like trauma there. There's too. a lot of trauma. So I think this book is really, it's really good at touching in the mind of a homicide detective that is, and you know, people, police officer, law enforcement, EMTs, anybody that has to deal with these crime scenes yeah. and learning about someone else's life after their death in a very intimate way and what the effect it has on you as a person in your mind. Well, I think also that idea of, like, I think sometimes the professions that people have, like, it's easy to become consumed by them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the expectation is is that it comes first before anything else. I mean, I, I, I empathize with what they're feeling, like, the idea that one day you stop doing that job and then what do you do? Yeah. Like, how do you occupy time 
And how do you fill your mind with things? Mm-hmm. It's like it seems like you would probably cycle back to what you used to do. Yeah, and that's that's another point. Um, he still sometimes will listen to police radio. Yeah, and, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, and he still sometimes will be there a part uh, at the outside of like the tape of a crime scene. So he's actually a journalist now. So instead of him being the one that like talks to reporters, he's asking the homicide detectives the questions. Oh, okay. So now he's actually taking reports on crimes and actually using his background knowledge to ask the right questions and to question homicide detectives on like what's going on and maybe kind of like prompting them. Kind of like, hey, maybe you should look into this, you know. So he's still he's still involved with crime cases in another capacity. So uh, it's really interesting. The change. It seems in like that. an interesting read. Yeah, I think I think that also shows like he can't. He's never going to get away from it. It doesn't seem like it. It I it, till his day he's still doing it, and I don't think he's ever going to stop being involved. I think he had mentioned it just it just really impacted him because it influenced him from a young age and it just stuck with him he can't get get away from it yeah i think especially because he probably started out so young Mm -hmm. that's probably a big factor yeah so to conclude some likes that i had about this book was the writing style of this book was in a conversational tone so it was more so like Ryan would set the scene with details and then bring you into the dark parts of the story. So he'll be like, so imagine, you know, it's Toronto, it's Christmas time, the lights are up, people are walking, you know, oh, to like from sets work. The, the sets setting. the setting, right, of a normal day. And then all of a sudden gets into the, there's the victim, what they might have been doing or what he knows they've been doing because of recounts of witnesses at, after the fact and then tells you, then this happens and it gets dark. And I think what it was, it was impactful for me. It was moving because it made me realize how a normal day can just drastically change in an instant. And I think that that's what I felt reading, especially the way, like the way he wrote it and reading that. It was just like, oh shoot. It also kind of makes it scarier though. Exactly. That's what I put. And it said, I, I put in my note, in my little oh, little outline notes, I put something that spiked my already existing anxiety yeah. and fears. <laughs> no, it, it totally won, yeah. So that was, it was definitely something that I'm like, I'm already scared. I I think this just like made it a little worse. More but, paranoia. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that was something I really liked about his writing style. Um, sometimes I would forget I'm reading a nonfiction book uh, because oh, nice. it just felt so so easy it just felt so easy to get through um so that's one thing i really liked it was really easy to kind of go with the flow and things like that it would get descriptive like to a point like a little too wordy like oh i'm kind of like making you know throwing in some like pizzazz um and that might not be appealing to some people but i like that so um some people aren't really super into detail orient like details like that where it's almost like creative writing especially in a nonfiction book but i liked it because i'm a fiction reader and i'm not a nonfiction reader so it kind of kept my interest for sure well it's also like it might be a good first i guess like nonfiction book to read Mm -hmm. because it reads that way yeah exactly i would I, i would yeah i didn't even think about that you know, because, like, I think there's, like, sometimes, like, I, I remember that being, like, a question when I was, like, going to be a librarian. Like, one of my coworkers was, like, oh, sometimes people want nonfiction that reads, like, fiction. Mm-hmm. And 
I think you'll find sometimes nonfiction reads like straight up nonfiction, right? It's like yep. a lot of data or facts or whatever. So sometimes, you know, I think that'll make it more engaging for a reader, especially if that's something they don't really read. Yeah, definitely. So I will use what Stephanie said and said, if you aren't like, if you're like me and don't like nonfiction, this is the book to read <laughs> for sure. Another like that I had was just, this is about the victims and not the killers. Sometimes when you read about true crime, you're talking about the murderers, you're talking about their lives, their psychological health, all those things that are where they were, what their past. But this was about the victims and this was about what they were, their relationships and who they were. Yeah. And I really like that a lot. That's true. Sometimes true crime focuses a lot more on the killer. Yeah. And this wasn't. He really showed how much he paid attention to the victims and li- their lives and remembered them. And he, he would mention a little bit of, like some of like when he wrote about the culprits it was just you could tell like his dislike for them his (sighs) hate for them and but the way he put it was kind of like you could you can also agree to you could also agree or not you know but okay but you don't think it's coming just like he's biased i don't feel like it's a biased tone too much you know how some people are like oh they're all killers or all they're all guilty and stuff like that it's very yeah this one i i I don't know how i wish i had a line i had like one line in my head but i don't want to butcher it so we'll just leave it at that Okay. Lastly, I do have a quote that I do want to share with everybody because i think this really embodies like the book and or his purpose uh so the quote is Homicide sticks to your skin. It follows you home when you arrive back from work late at night. It hangs in the air like a dark cloud traveling with you wherever you go. You can't wash it away, can't sleep it off, can never erase it from your memory. So that's kind of, that comes, came in the beginning of the book. And I really like that because that was probably the most moving and setting of a tone of a book that I've ever read. Mm. It just, it already right away tells you like, this is what this book is. This is where we're going to go with it. Yeah. And I I was like, when I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, that that's impactful because it's true. It, he, he made it, he really, he showed that afterwards how much it stuck and how much it influenced him. So wow. it was a very dark brick, but I really liked it. Well, thank you for sharing, Celeste. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I will give this a five. Wow. Yeah, Is that your my, first it's five? It's my first five on the podcast. Oh my gosh. Yeah, my first five. I really liked this book. And I thought, you know, I, I I had said previously, I don't like reading about dark things, but happening in detail. But at the same time. You do listen to true I crime, I do though. listen to true crime. So, <laughs> um, so really quickly, I don't read nonfiction often, but, and this is actually my first true crime read. So I don't have really recommendations to relate within this topic. Uh, but an, uh, a nonfiction author that I have read is Malcolm Gladwell. He's more of like he touches on sociology and psychology with within social interactions with people. Uh, one book that I read by him was Talking with Strangers or Talking to Strangers, sorry. And that's kind of about what is going on psycholog- psychologically and socially when you first interact with someone. Oh. For the first time. And it's really interesting. And it's funny because I don't think he has a degree in any of those. And he's a journalist. I thought that was really interesting. Um, some people, I've read reviews that some people have mixed feelings about how he wrote it. Um, I've heard that, yeah. You've heard, yeah. yeah. So 
take it with a grain of salt. I don't know. It's up to you if you want to pick that up in the future. But I think it's worth at least trying it out and seeing your thoughts on it. Um, That's true. I thought it was interesting. That's my read. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people come in and ask for his work. Yeah. Like, well, that's, a, that's a common question that we get. He has four books that have been on the bestseller list. Yeah. So We do have them. And we do have them. I know we do. We have Outliers. We have... Another, I forgot what the other popular one is, but I can't remember. Yeah, he has a couple, and they're pretty. They're pretty interesting to read. Yeah, so, that is my book. Thank you for listening. Okay, so for my September nonfiction read, I read a book called All the Living and the Dead by Haley Campbell. The book was published on April twelfth of twenty twenty two. The page count is 288 pages, and we actually do own the book. We have two copies of it in print book format, so you would have to, to read it. However, I did listen to part of it as an audiobook through another library, through Libby. So um, if you have library cards with another system, um, you might be able to find it that way. And then as far as the summary, let's go ahead and get into it. So um, the book follows journalist Haley Campbell, who identifies as having a fascination with death since childhood. She seeks to have questions about death answered by people who work in the death industry. Her book is divided into chapters that each focus on individuals who have death-related vocations, such as a funeral director, director of anatomical services, death mask sculptor, disaster victim identification, crime scene cleaner, executioner, embalmer, anatomical pathology specialist, bereavement midwife, grave digger, crematorium operator, and Chironics Institute. Wow, that's a long list. <laughs> so it's quite the list. For the sake of the podcast, I'm really not going to delve into each of them because they kind of each, they could each be an episode just because it's like, it's a profession and I'm sure there's a lot to be said about each of them. There was There's just some things I'm going to highlight that were of particular interest to me, but hopefully, you know, you check it out and see what you think of it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Before delving in, um, I would like to mention potential triggers, which include um, death in various ways, such as accidents, illnesses, etc. Um, crime scene cleanup. Um, that can be a little bit graphic. Um, bodies used for scientific research, botched executions, infant death, and so on. Um, these are just some of the things that came to mind. I'm sure, I feel like the whole book could be a trigger warning you in know, itself. in itself, like it's just death in itself can be something people don't want to talk about. Yeah, right? exactly. So in her introductory chapter, she begins with an overwhelming statistic. On average, 6,324 people in the world die every hour. 151,776 people die every day. About 55.4 million people a year. Um so to put that into perspective, that would be like, you know, for some con- for some places, it would be like their whole country would yeah. be gone, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just this huge number of people that we can't even really wrap our heads around. For me, it's just really a number that I really couldn't fathom because um, it's so big. Um, and she begins the book with, making a point of mentioning that death is something that we are all going to experience someday. Um, which for me, um, I don't know. I feel like I think about it every day. So <laughs> I didn't need the reminder of it. Another um, spark of anxiety. Another spark right of anxiety, there. yeah. Um, so in this chapter, she explores the idea of death and dead bodies being sanitized for society. Examples of this include not being able to view a body 
that is no longer recognizable out of fear of um, traumatizing people. Preparing bodies in a way that makes them look as if they're asleep and not dead. Mm -hmm. So like putting makeup on people or like gluing like their eyelids shut or like I think there's like a certain way that they like sew the mouth. Sew the mouth, yeah. Um, which Which is just interesting to think about because like when I've seen like deceased family members um i feel like my family always makes a point of saying oh they look they look so good they look so alive like i remember my grandma's sister who passed away she was dressed like super cozy like she looked so warm and like Mm -hmm. comfortable like she had this really cute like dusty pink sweater and then she just had like like the blush they put on her she had like really rosy cheeks like Mm -hmm. it really went with her and she looked very much alive so I think it's, like, it just, like, it really made me think of, like, what I've seen in my own life. Yeah. So it was just really interesting. Well, fun fact that I learned that I didn't know recently when my own Thea passed was they asked family members, I don't know if you just said this, but they asked family members if they want to be the ones that put the makeup on and dress them. Oh, okay. So that's an option. So it's an option. Something I don't know. I, I'd rather not find out anytime soon, but <laughs> if yeah. I would want to do it or not uh, myself. But yeah, that's something that I had just recently found out and I had no idea. I, jo- I just assumed the embalmers did everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have heard of some people like doing it for their family members. Like when we've had family die in Mexico, like the turnaround is super quick. Yeah. So like, let's say you die in the morning, like the next day they'll kind of have like your or like the night of they'll do like your velorio which is like basically everybody like gathers and prays and eats and grieves together as a group and then the next day you have your ceremony at church and then you get buried that's very different from here here is like you won't have a memorial service i mean it usually comes memorial service the day before you at the actual burial but you don't have that until sometimes weeks out like two weeks yeah so so it's interesting to see like the differences between both yeah and i think like i just went to a funeral my, my uncle passed away when we were there back in may um and he died and he died like i think it was like in the night or like early morning mm-hmm. on like a saturday saturday night it could have been sunday morning and then again, it was like that process of like bringing his body back to the town that we're from. And then on Monday is when they had his service. And over there, what's really interesting is like, you know, when you go to the, when, they, when they're taking um, the person to the church, you know, they, it's like a procession from the person's right. house. Um, and they have like live banda because mm. he really liked that, you know, yeah. and then they also have mariachi. So it's mm-hmm. kind of, it's, it's very surreal, you know, it almost feels kind of like a, like a fever dream because it's like, you're going through this process of like grieving. And then there's also this lively music going yeah. on simultaneously. It's just, it's just interesting. Yeah. More so the, the celebration of the life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, so like, and then after that, you go from the church to the cemetery and the cemetery at the town that my family's from, they have this kind of, um, kind of like a. Uh, not a canopy but like an enclosure kind of yeah that they open the they open the casket again and they play music before they bury them i had i didn't know that was a thing yeah yeah that's good to know so it's just it's just interesting it's you know people have different practices and then in that in that beginning chapter of the book she kind of begins with this with this statement that says the first person or like the first body that you see that's dead shouldn't be somebody that you love Mm. and I think the idea is if it's somebody that you don't know it might be a little bit easier for you to process seeing it for the first time right as opposed it being 
somebody that you know because that's what you're going to think of when when you think of like dead people yeah. or death or something like that. So it was just really interesting to kind of start the book in that way. And it just really got me thinking about that. In that initial chapter, um, she touches on the story of a man who um, wanted to see their relative in the state that they were when they died. And it seemed like they were getting a lot of pushback given the condition the person was in. A lot of funeral homes wouldn't let him see that person, which was interesting because it's like, at that point, the person's already gone and the person who wants to see them isn't being allowed to make that choice. So it just seemed kind of like, shouldn't you be able to if you want to? Like, why are other people making this choice? So I think he ended up like shopping around. I never got how many places he went to, but it was until he could he could see the person. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder if it's like, a, unless they're not a close relative, but if they were, like they have every right to see the person. I think it was a sibling. Oh, see, that, that still counts, you know? Yeah. I would think that if I want to see my... Oh, a close person to me right yeah well, here like i don't want to say names okay <laughs> a close person to me you know i would i would assume like i can get a yes right away unless he they died in a very like an investigation it's an investigation and stuff like that but still even then like i don't know that's just really odd to me yeah i think the body was already released too oh, okay. so it was just like he just kept being told no and i just remember thinking like if it happened to me in my own life, I would be so frustrated. I'd be I think, so frustrated and bothered. I'd be so upset. Yeah, I think I, I think I would probably take the same approach because mm-hmm. I feel like I can be stubborn in that way sometimes. Yeah. And so another chapter that I found particularly interesting was The Executioner. Ah. And so in her book, she interviews Jerry Givens, who was the chief executioner of Virginia from 1982 to 1999. During your, when you talk, Celeste, I remembered something from the book, and it was that while he was the executioner, he didn't tell his wife. She had no idea that was his job. Like, she knew that he worked for a prison, I think, but he didn't tell her that he was the state executioner. No freaking way. So can you imagine being married to somebody you don't know, like, what their job is? Yeah. That's like being married to a CIA agent and have no idea that they right. go and, like, do all kinds of, like, crazy stuff. Yeah, I guess they, like, he took, like, a vow of secrecy with, like, his coworkers and stuff. Which is crazy to think about, like, I can't imagine having a partner and not knowing what they do. Because that's, like, you talk about that yeah, all and the time. I, I think about him and I'm like, how can you live not being able to vent about all of this stuff that you're experiencing? Well, especially with what the job that he does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I think they touched on, um, there was one executioner and it was, gosh, I want to say it was Florida, but don't quote me on that. (laughs) Um, But he would get picked up from his house. He would wear a hood. Like he was hooded the entire time he would do it because Mm -hmm. he didn't want anybody to know who he was. What? I guess like they get targeted. Like I guess it's like this kind it, it can be a little bit dangerous. I guess that's true. Yeah. If yeah. they knew who you were and like the family was there to see and then they see who was the one that actually got rid of mm-hmm. someone that they cared about and yeah. got rid of, but you know, executed yeah. someone that they really cared about and then it's like they have a vendetta. I can see that. Yeah. So it was just it was interesting to see like that perspective. Um And it kind of seemed like, and I think they touched on, oh my gosh, I cannot remember what part of, like what era it was in history. Mm -hmm. But um, being an executioner was like kind of it, people knew that's what you did. And it was kind of a thing that was passed on through like generations. Oh. And so 
that was really like interesting to think about and i mean it makes sense historically like a lot of people just kind of followed in the footsteps yeah of footsteps their parents. Of the, yeah um but they were also kind of ostracized in society which is that's really interesting. Yeah. But anyway, so during the span of his his time as an executioner, he oversaw the executions of 62 people. He was hoping to get to 100 and then, you and know. call it quits. And then stop doing that. But his career as an executioner came to an end in 1999 when he was found guilty of money laundering and perjury, crimes that resulted in him serving a four-year prison sentence. During his time as an executioner, Gibbons was a proponent of the death penalty, but that changed later on in his life. He, In fact, he later became an opponent of the death penalty and became an advocate for, you know, doing away with it. Wow, yeah, so what major, a switch. What a switch, yeah. And so in the book, it appears that two major life events resulted, resulted in this change of view, uh-huh. Gibbons' legal troubles, and that when he was in prison, there was a, a man named Earl Washington Jr. that he was going to execute in 1985, but it was commuted. So instead of being executed, it was commuted, so he got a life sentence. Okay. But it ended up being that he was actually innocent. So can you imagine, like, you believe in this system, and then it turns out that... One of the people he almost executed was actually innocent. So it kind of brings into question all those other executions yeah. that he did, right? Ooh, okay. So I it kind understand of, that. Yeah, okay. so it kind of led to this, like, major shift. And then I think while he was in prison, he also, like, became more religious. Mm-hmm. He had already been religious, but I think, you know, going through that experience. Yeah. But I think also, too, I think, like, with hiding a major part of himself, I don't think he ever, like, got to, like, vent or process or, like, under, I guess, like, fully come to terms with what he was doing. And so I think that also probably, I think being in prison kind of allowed him to at least think about it a little bit, right? Yeah. And so throughout that chapter, um, Campbell, who is the author of the book, she asks Gibbons in various ways why he, as an individual, is not was not murdering the people that he was executing. Throughout that chapter, she's like trying to get him to kind of like take responsibility, which I thought was really interesting. And he would try to explain it to her in different ways. You know, I think he, like, brought up, like, his rationale or, like, you know, there was a system in place that he was a part of or, like, his, his spiritual beliefs that he had. But there was, like, this this sense that she was, like, really trying to extract something from him that he just wouldn't give her. And it almost seemed like she just couldn't accept, like, his sense of spirituality, mm. which for me was kind of frustrating because I feel like every you know some people have you know religious beliefs some people don't and i think for a lot of people it gives them a sense of comfort in their own life Mm -hmm. and so i don't know it's just the way the way that she was coming about it was was a little bit frustrating for me as a reader yeah and just to clarify you mean like she was trying to get him to admit that him being an executioner is actually making him a murderer Kind of, yeah. Okay, okay. That's what, okay. Yeah, but she was like, I think he was like trying to like, I guess, in a way, I guess he was trying to frame it that like, you know, like, like I guess it's like his relationship with God and like he was doing his job and, yeah, you know, in like his own way. Mm -hmm. I guess he had like come to terms with it in his own way. Right. And I guess she like wanted him to take like accountability and kind Mm. of give himself this title that she wanted him to have. Yeah. So that was kind of... That would throw me off a little bit. Yeah, it just kind of, I don't know, as a reader, it was kind of, was weird. Another chapter that I found particularly disturbing was the crime scene cleaner. So Uh, funny, because I just talked about crime scenes. (laughs) Yeah, um, he was very, I guess I would describe it as like, 
detached from mm-hmm. what he is doing, which I mean, I understand it's like self-preservation, right? But um, he like grew popularity online for having a social media profile where he would post before and after images of crime scenes that his company had cleaned. Wow. So, yeah. So that one was just really, it was kind of hard for me to wrap my head around just because, you know, they're they're like, they can be scenes of, of violence or accidents. I think it's like also the scenes of violence um could trigger you know triggers people but then it's like it's a privacy thing. Like Yeah, that's that's the other part of it. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm getting no, ahead no of myself. But go ahead. Um and then so yeah, so I so I think like for me while I was reading that I'm like, I don't think this is respectful to the people that you're cleaning up yeah. after. And I think it totally for me like came across as like a privacy concern. Mm-hmm. And then I think the other part that was interesting too was like he like the, the the author like made a point of saying like oh like he has this like new truck and you know like he's clearly like it's it's a profitable biz- profitable business but he at one point mentions that he himself doesn't actually like do that type of I think he just like kind of oversees it now so he's even like more removed from it yeah I don't know it kind of unsettled me yeah but yeah overall like I think the book was informative, but I had a really hard time with the author. (laughs) Just because I feel like, I understand like we all have our own biases or whatever, and we all like approach how we speak to people in different ways. Yeah. But I could just, I could really feel like her judgments towards people, specifically like in regards to like spirituality. It just was very like palatable. And I think it kind of like affected my reading of it, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like, I totally see like all sides of, you know, people having like their own belief system. Like I, I get it. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's just hard when it's like, it like permeated the whole book for me. Oh. So that made it kind of challenging. Yeah. The information itself is really interesting. But I think if, if you're able to kind of like disregard it, then mm-hmm. it makes for a more enjoyable experience. But yeah. I don't know. I just kept picking up on like the tone and like the way things were worded. Yeah. And you would think as someone who's interviewing people, especially about what they did and getting just their side of the story, you wouldn't you wouldn't put yourself you wouldn't put you yourself in that information. I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah, well like, also there are situations that you have nothing to do with. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think that's what it was. It was just like I, I, I would have, I think I would have appreciated more detachment yeah. on my end. Um, I think the other thing that was kind of hard was because I, I did listen to it as an audiobook. Oh, okay. Um, for the most part. And I felt like I was going into every chapter kind of blind because like when you, I think when I, the version that I read, it was, it would just like, I think the chapters had names, but it wouldn't say like the executioner, mm. the you know, um, the funeral director, yeah. whatever. It would just dive in and I'm like, you know, several minutes in and I'm like, I have no idea like who this person is going to be, you know? And so for me, it's like, I, I just, I that feeling of not knowing where it's going was a little bit hard for me. Ooh. Um, See, for me though, that would be interesting. That would be like a yeah. guessing game. Like, ooh, what are they, who are they? Yeah. What are they doing? Like, you know, I felt like I, maybe because I haven't read it, but in my eyes, I would, actually find that kind of interesting yeah so i think that that was kind of interesting to me yeah yeah i mean i, li- I like the i liked learning about what other people do for their jobs and especially around death around death <laughs> and i think it's just it's just interesting how there's like all of these professions that you would never even think of you know i think we generally just think like oh there's like a, a mortician there's a coroner you know like you don't really think of like these other people or like corporations that exist that you know, are part of this 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so I think that's what makes it for like a pretty interesting read. So I think reading this book really, I think given the nature of it, it really, it really encouraged me to seek out books that were a little bit more uplifting, I would say, and a little bit less dark. I still wanted to read nonfiction because I listen to a lot of podcasts, but sometimes I feel like I'm not necessarily learning anything. I'm just hearing people talk about nonsense sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the first book that I read that was, or I listened to, it was an audiobook, was called Bay Curious, Exploring the Hidden True Stories of the San Francisco Bay Area by Olivia Allen Price. Um, She's a reporter for KQED in San Francisco. Basically, the book is a compilation of these like short stories um, and they're all written by journalists who work for KQED. And we don't own it, but I think we should totally get it because it's such a fun read. I'm going to see if I can find the audiobooks because I order audiobooks. But it's a total of 49 chapters in homage to the famous 49-mile drive in San Francisco. Oh, that's cool. So it's, so if you don't know that, 49-mile drive, it's like this like loop around the city where like you get to see all these sites and like notable places in San Francisco. And it's like a way to just kind of like experience what San Francisco has. And the really neat thing about the book is like the stories are like short, but they're like short and sweet, I would say. Mm-hmm. And so like she, one of the chapters is like, the Rocky Road ice cream invention debate, like who really made it. The, there's like another one on the Winchester Mystery House, which I love going there. So anything I can read about the Winchester Mystery House for me <laughs> is always like, I, it's just so exciting. And so it was like a really quick listen, but I just thought it was so much fun. Like I wish they would do a part two because I feel like there's just so many stories about the Bay Area. Um, and they have their own podcast, which oh, is no called way. Bay Curious. So Bay Curious, that's a cool name. Yeah, so it's a cute name. Um, but yeah, you could totally check it out. The other audiobook I listened to was, I guess it's like a memoir, because it's not really a biography. But it's called I'd Like to Play Alone, Please by Tom Segura. He is a comedian. We don't own it, but other systems do. I got it as an audiobook. But there are like short stories from his childhood and adulthood, his biracial family experiences, his mom is Peruvian, memories of his recently deceased father, and interactions actions with celebrities on airplanes just like these like random encounters that he's had i've been like a longtime fan of him and and listener of his podcasts and comedy um so it was just kind of fun because it was like again i'm trying to get away from reading these like dark books all the time so they're it's kind of like a palate cleanser and then the the most recent work of nonfiction that i read was uh blood in the fields 10 years inside california's nuestra familia gang by julia reynolds we don't own it it's a little bit older i want to say it's from like the early 2010s maybe 2012 2014 but she tells a story of gang activity in selena's watsonville and other surrounding areas in the 1990s and 2000s. I mean, basically she kind of like lays out the structure of the Nuestra Familia gang organization, um, provides accounts of individual gang gang members um, as they make their way through and some try to make their way out of the organization, like criminal activity that goes on and the history of Operation Black Widow, which was like the FBI's attempt to kind of like break apart, take down Nuestra Familia. It was super interesting. Ooh. And it was just really surreal to see places that like I know like in a book. So Very close to home for Very sure. close to home. No, yeah. And it was just like. I do know that. They are all in prison, or most of them are all in prison at this yeah. point. So, but yeah. I mean, doesn't mean 
operations don't still happen. So yeah. it's just, but yeah, I, I mean, that's kind of like a foreshadowing of Black Widow and the FBI's attempt and well, they're in prison. So there's there's a little the hint there. Yeah, and it's, it's just, it was just really interesting just to kind of like, I, I think what she did that was really beautiful that I really loved about the book was like, she, I mean, she can't really like go into it and fully extrapolate it, but she did t- t- touch on this idea of like familial cycles and like generational expectations and um, like the indoctrination of like young people into these gangs. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, yes, finally somebody recognizes this, you know, like, cause it's, I just feel like growing up from here, like I think people have a lot of assumptions. Yeah. And they, they don't actually know. That they, they think, oh, they chose this life. They want to be a part of this. It's kind of like, no, there's a lot of influence. And there's a lot of pressure. Pressure, yes. Yeah, and so like, and it's just interesting to see the what what ends up happening when people have those like external things going on in their lives when they're so young. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really moving mm-hmm. um, and I really recommend it. I will read it. <laughs> yeah, you should read it. No, it's, I, I thought it was really good. I'm going to look for, I'm going to see if I can find it. Um, so I can add it to the 300s. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. I yeah. like that, Stephanie. Yeah, no, that was a really good one. I really liked it. I think I'm done. Did you rate your book? Uh, my book, I gave it like a two or a three. Okay. Somewhere. Like, I didn't dislike it completely. It's just... There's aspects of it that kind of just... Eh, like you said, like with the author and how the... Yeah. You know, all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think it is informational. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. there's a lot to be learned. Yeah. Well, that is the end of our nonfiction reads for September. Hopefully, we'll, we'll probably have another one like this. I kind of want to pick up another one already. But we, like we said in the beginning, we're going to have spooky books for next month. They're going to be different from one another. I think I'm going to read or try to find a YA paranormal horror book. There's some that are out, and I think I have a couple downstairs uh, in the new book section that people have been really loving. Uh, the author's Natalie something. I keep forgetting her last name. Okay. I've ordered a bunch of them because a lot of people are super into them. So I'm thinking I'm going to take a crack at one of those and oh. see how it is. I should mention, um, this was something that we started, I think it was last year. A lot of people in Watsonville are really into scary books. Yes. And so we've been going through and labeling books that are horror in the stacks. So, and that's in um, the adult books youth or young adult and then youth books so if you're ever looking for a book and you're just like browsing if you see a book with a purple sticker that has a ghost and it says you know horror and suspense um that will you know that'll be an easy way to find your next yeah. spooky read yeah <laughs> um i think for me i'm probably gonna go with some sort of like latin american horror book just because that's what I've been reading a lot of in the past few years, and I think there are so many authors in Latin America who just have these like new takes on horror that are so interesting and beautifully executed. Ooh. And so um, I want to try to find something in that realm. In that realm? Yeah. Well, there you have it. That's kind of where we're going for for next month. So if you like spooky reads and you want to hear a little bit of scary stories, we'll do our best yeah. <laughs> to share them with you for next month. Um, But that concludes this episode. Thank you for listening and for joining in with us today. We will catch you in October. Okay, see you in October. Bye. Bye.